And so we think it has to be the sweeping acts. It has to mm. be, but it doesn't. It can just be those simple, small, ordinary acts. And as those things, as we seek to work on the human scale, that human scale becomes the vast scale. And that is really, I think, the legacy of these pharmacists. Welcome to the Isle of Misfits, the place where we own our awkward on the way to becoming who God wired us to be. I am your humble host and chief misfit, Nancy Carmichael, and I don't always rattle off our core values right up front. You've already heard number one, right? So let's just keep going. In addition to owning your awkward, we're also all about loving our fellow misfit and seeking beauty and truth wherever and get wherever it can be found. And I think that is apropos for today's guest because she really hits on all three of these themes in her stories, at least as far as I'm concerned. And some of those stories include The White Rose Resists and My Dearest Dietrich. It might sound familiar to you because her name is Amanda Barrett. And of course, you'll recognize that name because she's been here before talking about both of those books. And now, She's back to talk about her latest release called Within These Walls of Sorrow. And I am thrilled to have her back talking to me right now. Welcome back to the aisle, Amanda. What a joy to have you return. Oh, it is truly such a joy to be here again, Nancy. Oh my gosh. So we were just uh, speaking moments ago, like when was the last time you were here? And by, I, I think by our mutual calculations, it was in 2021, almost two years ago. I know it's, it hardly seems that long ago. I mean, time, the past years have just seemed like they've gone by so quickly. Yes, time does fly, as I said, when you're writing amazing books, which you do. Um, I'm always, I'm just in awe of your ability, not just to crank them out, but but just the quality of storytelling. And we're going to get into that, of course, in just a second. Because, um, yeah, like I said, you know, last time, uh, June 2021, we talked and it feels like the, you know, looking back at it now that's when the craziness of the world was uh maybe kicking into second gear i don't know that's that's my take what's your take yeah i mean 2020 2021 were certainly very unique years um lots of lots of craziness as you said yes and you know we're all about crazy here but i guess there's all there's all kinds of crazy there's good crazy there's crazy crazy and um you know and then, of course, there's the the kind of crazy that is not so much fun to talk about the just the conflicts in the world, and that you know that that's a big theme in a lot of your stories. You know, what do you do in these conflicts? You know, like I said, um, I feel like you hit on these themes in your stories. You know, these are these are people who you know who are owning themselves, right? Maybe owning their awkward in the midst of these situations where. They're hard situations, hard to love on people, um, you know, and and dark situations, finding beauty and truth, even in these dark situations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really is the resiliency of ordinary people in the midst of impossible circumstances. And World War II was certainly an unfathomable, so much war, so much devastation, so much brokenness. But in the midst of it, these small glimmers of light emerged. And those are the stories that I thrive on discovering and sharing. Yeah, and those are the stories that, frankly, I feel we need. We need more of in these, you know, in these crazy times in which we live. I think we've always needed those stories, but I don't know, especially right now, at least 
At least that's how I see it. So, Amanda, you know we're going to talk about your book. You know we got some deep questions to talk about. But you also know that there's something we have to get on the table, deal with it, and move on before we can do all that. You know the stupid game is coming. Stupid game. Yes, I do. And I'm, I'm excited what you have for me this time. Okay. All right. I love how willing you are. Okay. So this stupid game, this is going to be real short, real sweet. I have just one question for you and there's no wrong answer. That's the beauty of today's stupid game. So here you go. Here's my question for you. In an alternate universe, not that we subscribe to such things around here, but in a universe where there was no such thing as books or authors, and I know that is a terrible world to imagine. What would your alternate vocation look like? In in other words, if you weren't an author, what else would you be doing? Well, if this alternate universe could have museums and history, um, like historical locations, I would love to be like a tour guide or to work at a museum because I just love history so much. And I think that would be amazing. A docent. You know, I thought you might say something along those lines because that's the other thing that we've learned about you over the years. You are what we call a researcher. You love you you love to get your research on. I do. I'm a self-proclaimed history nerd, so museums, so stacks and stacks. I mean, right now I have surrounding me, my desk is totally cluttered after working, but I have probably around between 40 or 50 books, both books I have and then a bunch from the library. So I love being surrounded by research books. And oh, have you always been this way? Yes, I have always loved books. I've always loved history. Even, um, you know, growing up, I the, the books I gravitated toward were always historical, like, you know, Little House on the Prairie, Anna Green Gables, um, The Dear America Diaries, The American Girl. That was what I grew up on. And so his love of history has really always just been something that's been very close to my heart. Right. So if I could talk to, you know, your family, your parents, like, would they, would they have fun, fun little stories about toddler, uh, Amanda, like doing some sort of toddler research? Um, they would probably tell you that, uh, when I was probably four or five, I was obsessed with the wizard of Oz for some reason. And really? did so you do a deep dive to just love that? I just, I don't know. I've watched it in recent years and I'm like, what drew me to this? I don't even know how I got introduced to it, but I used to, um, I almost had the whole movie memorized. And so like, while it was playing, I would literally like be acting it out with the characters. So that was kind yes. of my obsession. Oh my gosh. You were just, you were, you're helping bring up a childhood memory of mine. So you're way too young to remember this, but in the days of record albums, uh, I remember we had, um, a couple of kids on our block where we get together in someone's house and they had a record album that was the entire, like soundtrack but not just the soundtrack it was the dialogue too of the wizard of oz so we would listen to it and memorize it and act it out oh my goodness that's what you do yeah so i'm i'm right there on that wizard of oz page with you oh well yes judy garland i mean you know can't get much better than that this is true yes many have tried and none have attained her greatness but um so yeah so you've been doing the deep dives since you were you were a wee one and that makes sense because you've gotten really really good at it um now i and i know the obviously world war ii is a big area of of where your research has taken you it seems like that's you know you have a love of that area area era 
Um, are there any other eras or times or, or places that, that you've been fascinated with? Well, I used to, I, before I started writing World War II, which really began with the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his fiance, I wrote in a variety of eras, everything from Regency England to Victoria and Niagara Falls to the California Gold Rush. So I've been all over the place. World War II, I think I've kind of like landed there. And I feel like that's really where so much of my heart is exploring those stories. But history right. endlessly fascinates me in all time periods. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. There's something about that World War II era, you know, the greatest generation and all that. Um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to leave once you're there. Um, and and Niagara Falls, of course, because we talked about Niagara Falls. I live near Niagara Falls, so I think if if I remember correctly, that was that was at least one of our stupid games in the past. So so yeah, so you you know you have broad interests, and but as broad as your interests are, you really do get granular i think with with just the level of research and um weaving these fictional characters into true history which which is quite a skill i think to be able to do that so deftly well, I love it. I love um, exploring these true stories, especially these little known true stories, you know, people that you don't automatically hear about. And so I feel like there are countless unsung heroes amid those years. And so I really love just when I find this story that fascinates me and then that I decide, well, this really needs to be known by a broader audience. Right. Yes. And I agree. So let's, all right. So let's just jump into this. Let's talk about this story within these walls of sorrow. Um, Give us a little, you know, just just give us a little nutshell of what the what's going on in this story. So within these walls of sorrow is inspired by the true story of a group of Polish pharmacists who um, in Krakow, Poland during the war, and they fought for hope and humanity behind the walls of the Krakow ghetto. They were non-Jews and um, Tadusz Pankovic was the pharmacist and he and the three women who worked alongside him um, were, were non-Jews in the Krakow ghetto. And so they were going into the ghetto and working at the pharmacy. And while there, they were able to provide aid and um, all sorts of just assistance to the Jewish people in the midst of, you know, the horror that was the Krakow Ghetto. Many people know of the Krakow Ghetto from Schindler's List, and that's right. the familiarity there. So if you've ever seen that film, you know what the Krakow Ghetto was like and what these pharmacists were working in the conditions. Right, right. So, and and just as an aside, how did you, like, so this pharmacy and this pharmacist, this is, this is the true part of the story? Like this pharmacy actually existed? Yes, it existed. And today it is a museum. And so so you can go and see this exact in the exact building where these all took place. So yes, it's a true, it's a pharmacy in Krakow, Poland, right in the heart of the area that became the ghetto on a square that is today known as Ghetto Hero Square. Ghetto Hero Square. Wow. So, okay. So obviously you found this out by research. How did you find out about this pharmacy and its, its, its existence? So it, I found it in a very unique way. I was watching a YouTube video of an American high school teacher who took his students, he took his American high school class um, to, to Poland and they were visiting a ton of cities and one of them is Krakow. And while there, they visited the pharmacy. And so this brief clip in the video of them going through the pharmacy and talking a little bit about Tadusz Pinkovic really was the spark that spurred me to delve deeper. And so then I immediately wanted to know more. So I began, I read Tadusz Pinkovic's memoir and I started reading a lot about the Krakow ghetto. And the more I researched, the more I was like, you know, this really needs to be known. This is just this really remarkable story. And I, why haven't I ever heard of this? And so as a novelist, I really thrive on excavating 
taking those forgotten fragments of history and crafting them into an accessible narrative. And so that's really what I sought to do with this story. Right, right. Yeah. And you do it so well. And okay, so you said YouTube was sort of your entry point into this, right? You saw this YouTube video that got you, hey, this is, I, I didn't know about this. Why don't more people know? So what besides the interwebs, um, are there any other sources that you go to? I mean, I would think, you know, you could find out everything in the entire world just from the internet. But um, tell us about your process. Like when you do research, what does that look like? Yes. So um, I immerse myself in research long before I actually sit down to write. So for this novel, research involved reading the memoir that Tadouz wrote, which was very, which was full of so many of the things that became part of this novel. Um, I also read dozens of her stand accounts by survivors of the Krakow ghetto and the various um, laboring concentration camps portrayed in the novel. And I listened to some testimonies of Jewish people who are in the Krakow ghetto that are available on the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And that, those were really useful as well. And since I wrote the novel right in the middle of 2020 and 2021, I wasn't able to um, travel to Poland for research, but the staff at the pharmacy museum um, was invaluable. They provided floor plans. They provided mm. um, period photographs. They even provided interviews with the women who worked at the pharmacy. And so wow. those really gave me this wonderful, um, you know, touchstone to then fill in those lines with my fictional pen. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I think they call those primary sources, right? I mean, may maybe not the actual people, but people that are there now. So you went directly to the source. I did. And there was this one gentleman who was absolutely amazing. I mean, I asked him the most obscure questions. One time I, I even asked him, so what color was the, was like the outside of the pharmacy building during the time? Like, I know it's probably was like refinished and things. So what did it look like back then? And he was like, you know, I've never thought about that before. That's a really good question. So fun moments like that. Right. But that's a great detail, you know, just because, yeah, when when you're reading things, you know, we do create pictures in our minds. And yeah, I think that's that's very cool. So here's a question. You talked about the Holocaust uh, Museum. I'm assuming you mean the one in Washington, D.C. I know there's another one in Israel. Have you ever been there? I have not been to the one in DC. It's very high on my list. I've always, a few years ago, we were going to take a trip to Washington DC and it just didn't, it just didn't end up happening, but I really would love to go at some point. There's also a really wonderful Holocaust museum in my home state of Michigan in the Detroit area. And I've been so privileged to, I've attended many events there. I've heard several Holocaust survivors speak there, which was a profound and moving experience, which I recommend to anyone. And so, mm -hmm. but yes, the DC one is definitely very high on my list of places I would like to visit. Yeah, I think you would love it. it. It's not, you know, as 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 is the case with your book, it's not an you know easy place. You know, not an easy read, not an easy place to visit. It's not light, obviously, um, but so moving. And yeah, oh, I think you would you would really um, you would really just love the way they've done. It's so well done. The way they've done it, so so honoring and respectful, and you get a sense of sacred sacredness really when you're there. Yes, I've seen photographs from it, so I could totally, I can totally see that. And they they do such a wonderful job at providing Holocaust education. There's so much on their website, um, so many resources, so many archives that are just available. I've even um, asked questions of their research librarians, and they've been able to direct me to some resources. So it's just a really wonderful, the people who run that should really be commended. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, Amanda, let's let's get back to to this story that you wrote, set in the Krakow ghetto, as you said, a lot of people who've seen Schindler's List, Schindler's List, 
um, know about it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, lately on TV, I feel like it's been running on like one of the cable networks like like again and again so i i've actually been uh i've watched schindler's list again uh for the first time in in several years so um but let's let's talk about that for people you know that maybe haven't seen schindler's list um and don't really know a lot what was what was going on in the ghetto during this time so in the spring of 1941, the, the German authorities ordered the establishment of a Jewish residential district in Krakow. They never really called it in the German terminology, never ter referred to it as the ghetto. It was always the Jewish residential district. Mm -hmm. And so in March 1941, 12 to 15,000 Polish Jews were forced to move into the ghetto. They had to leave behind their homes and businesses in the rest of the city, while the non-Jewish residents of the area had to relocate. And the authorities ordered the construction of a high wall around the ghetto. And the top of this wall was shaped like a row of tombstones so imagine you're moving into this ghetto you're in this ghetto and then around you a wall starts rising and it looks like tombstones i mean what, mm. what those people must have been thinking and enduring during that time wow. and so for the two years of the ghetto's existence thousands of jewish people were living in conditions of extreme overcrowding they were laboring in factories among them oscar schindler's factory um so these german factories they're being forced to perform labor for very little pay or no pay at all mm -hmm. they all feel that they have to work to avoid deportation and the deportations begin in the summer of 1942 when there are two deportations from the ghetto in the summer and autumn of 1942 when thousands of them are deported and they all think they're going to work camps in the east but all those um all those trains go straight to the Belgian extermination camp where all the people are gassed upon arrival. And so that, um, you know, was very fraught atmosphere in the ghetto. And then the final liquidation of the ghetto, um, which took place in March 1943, which is, again, people who have seen Schindler's List will remember those scenes um, where those who were deemed capable of work were marched to the nearby Puesha labor camp. And though the rest of the inhabitants um, were simply shot in the ghetto. So all of these elderly, all of these children, um, these ill people and Tadusz Pankovic and the women who worked alongside him witnessed a lot of this right from the window of the pharmacy because it overlooked the square where these deportations, all the people were being assembled for deportation and all these murders were, were being carried out. So imagine you're looking out the window of your pharmacy and you're hearing these shots and you're knowing what's happening. I mean, you know, how horrific. And yeah, I, I'm taking all this in and, you know, you're saying it was March of 1943. That was, yeah, next month, that'll be 80 years ago that that happened, which... You know, that's a long time ago, longer than your lifetime, even longer than my lifetime, but really not that long ago. And these things were happening. And as you said, um, this pharmacist, he's just doing his job. He's just, you know, he's, this is just, hey, this is my life. And he's watching this happen. And like so many of us faced with the choice, uh, keep your head down, don't get into trouble or do something. And what, you know, you... You've researched him enough. You're writing, you know, a, a story that's based on this, and, and and I know you're you're taking a little bit of artistic license. What do you think is going through his head? Well, uh, what he started out is when the Germans established the ghetto, he, the reason he wanted, he applied for permission to stay. He bribed the German authorities. He persuaded and convinced them because all the other non-Jewish had, people had to leave. And so he's staying in this ghetto. And at first it was really simple. He just didn't want to lose his family's business. This was his father's pharmacy. He wanted to keep it in the family. And so he was able to do this. But as time went on, as he saw what was going on, I mean, he was horrified. He and his colleagues um, found out um, in the 
autumn of 1942, where these um, transports of people were going and about the Belgian extermination camp. And at that point, they realized, you know, we absolutely have to do something. They provided um, forged documents for people. They used connections with SS officers to get these stamps on their papers, which allowed some people to be exempt from deportation. One of the really interesting things that they did is they made in the pharmacy laboratory, they made hair dye for that. Then, then were they were able to give to elderly people who may very well have been deemed unfit for labor and deported, but were instead allowed to remain in the ghetto because they, you know, they looked younger. And so, oh, wow, all these, I've these never things heard that they were this. able to do. And these, these very small acts, I know it's, it's incredible. Yeah. So, so, okay. So his first motive is, as you said, you could say, well, he was, he was there to save his business, which yeah, it makes sense. That's, that's our livelihood. So that requires a certain level of bravery, right? To stay in a place that, you know, is it's not going to be an easy place, um, but he's there, you know, just doing what he can do, doing what's in my hands to do. But then at some point it shifts, right? From saving the business to wait, there's some people here that literally need saving. So to, you know, to shift that, that level of bravery to make that choice from, okay, this is more than just about me and my family. This is about human beings. So I'm sure you've given a lot of thought to like what what goes on in a in a person's you know in that process when you you're making that shift. Yes, well, I think what I found in reading these memoirs of these um, people who did these things is there really wasn't a choice. There really wasn't so much of a grappling. It was simply that they knew that they had to do this because they knew that they had to that they believed it to be right, and they knew that they could not stand by. They could not remain silently complicit. So, I feel like for that, for so many people thinking about like Meep Geese, who hid Anne Frank and her family. When I was recently reading her memoir, it was really just there. Really wasn't like a, it was just this is what I must do. There wasn't like that really internal wrestling. She knew that this was right, and I think that that kind of runs through many of the people who I've studied. Yeah, you know what, and I, and I think you're right about that because you know you think about every every time you hear about you know like a heroic story like on the news you know somebody jumped into a, a river and saved somebody or, or you know whatever um, did something very heroic. It's always the same. Well, I just did the right thing, you know, and and you're right that it, it isn't like you don't have time to wrestle with your thoughts. You're just like no this is right and i'm just going to do it like there's no question so um and and on the other hand you know i i think of like i contrast this like i'm i'm sure you know of this story um uh the book thief right and which you know these were normal people and 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 did brave things but at the same time you can see what was on the line even to do a small act of bravery and and what it cost so you know i i think in some sense, the more you have time to think about it, the more, you know, time you have to talk yourself out of it. Yes, I think that they really, they were just acting. And I feel like back in those days, there was also just this really, they were, I feel like people back then, they were, they were maybe more selfless to a degree. And, you know, we, they weren't cluttered with, you know, what we have today, technology and things. So they really were just simply doing, they didn't expect life to be easy. They didn't expect, mm. you know, life to give them a free ride. They, they just really thought that they had to just do what was right. Yeah, they didn't expect life to be easy. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's a big contrast between then and now because like, oh, life is hard. And yeah, it is. Um, but there's, you know, it's not just about good times. It's about purpose. We all have a purpose. And and I think that's that's what I'm hearing because those those two themes, right? 
Um, and I feel like every time we talk, I, it, it always comes back to this, but I think that's okay because I, I the two themes that I pick up in all of your books are strength and courage, you know, being brave, being strong, and, and what's required to do that. Um, and I suppose, you know, every good story does that because there's parallels, right? We always look at a story of an era. Oh, well, those things that are going on, oh, I can see the same things are happening now. And there's those parallels. But I would like to get, I'd like to zoom in a little bit. And this is this is what I want to ask you. Then I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Um, I want to think a little less globally and a little more granular, right? I want to take this personally. So where do you see people? whether young people like yourself or, or really anyone needing to draw upon that bravery and strength today? Well, I think that there are so, there are so many areas and I think it really all comes, just really comes down. It can be anything from, you know, standing up for what, standing up for causes that you believe in to helping someone that, you know, needs assistance. I mean, there's so much hurt and so much brokenness. Um, you know, the things that the pharmacy did, sometimes it was something just as simple as giving medicine to somebody free of charge, somebody who could not afford it themselves. Um, years later, Tadush Pinkovic, um, he was an older man and he received a, letters throughout his life. People thanking him um, for what he did. And one was um, written by a man who was only like a young boy at the time he was in the ghetto. And the letter said, you know, here I'm here, I'm enclosing a check for the three pills, which you gave me back then. And for which I could not pay you. I've never forgotten your kindness, all of mm. those, these years. And so we think it has to be the sweeping acts. It has to mm. be, but it doesn't, it can just be those simple, small, ordinary acts. And as those things, as we seek to work on the human scale, that human scale becomes the vast scale. And that is really, I think, the legacy of these pharmacists. Kindness, right? You're talking about kindness. And I love how you put it. It's like, yeah, you know, we think, oh, would I be brave enough to stand in front of, you know, jump in front of a bullet or a speeding train or jump into the river? Or, um, and maybe that day will come. But for most of us, those opportunities come in, as you say, the, the small things. Well, what's in my hand that I can do? You know, there, this person that's right in front of me, what can I do for them? And it might take me out of my way. It might be inconvenient. It might actually cost me something, whether small or large. Um, but what can I what can I do? Because that in itself, there is bravery and strength required for that. There is. And I think that sometimes those are the things that are overlooked. And so sometimes we think these are not heroic. These are simple and small, but really the, the magnitude of that. And sometimes it's hardest to do those small things because we feel like they won't be recognized, but really to impact people on an individual li life can just be so impactful. Right. And, and in a sense, you know, because some of us will in our lives be required to maybe do something a little bit bigger than we, you know, than, than even the small things. But in a sense, what you're talking about, this is this is training, right? Because to do any big act of bravery, strength, whatever, requires a lot of training. So so the small acts are are stepping stones to to maybe something bigger. Not necessarily that better, is so but bigger. That is so true. I actually read a memoir um, by a woman, also another Polish woman, and she ended up hiding um, several Jewish families um, in a basement of a, a the 
a villa uh, that she worked for the Germans, but she said that her journey of resistance started that she left some food by the ghetto fence. And then that led up to bigger and bigger, which eventually ended up to her risking her life to help. But it was just that those simple, like you said, it's training. Right, right. And um, so let's let's draw back on this because we're talking about bravery we're talking about strength and and for some people it's like well duh obvious this is this is obviously the right thing to do maybe today more so than 80 years ago that's not quite as clear and there's probably well there's definitely a lot of reasons for that but it leads me to ask you this this kind of final question as we're as we're kind of coming in for landing for now um how how do we get there how do we how do we you know okay yeah be brave be strong do the right thing how do we even know what the right thing is i know that's a big question how do you like that well if you think about people like Dietrich bonhoeffer and like the shoals i believe what they came down for them was that it was really what they believed they they searched god i mean sophie shoal um you know she read saint augustine's confession she read the verse in james that says be doers of the word not hearers only and i think that that was really a, an anthem for her as she went about her resistance so as believers i mean we have the power of the holy spirit within us to guide us and to show us what you know what his way is and so as we listen to his voice i think that that is really where it all begins and you know what? I I agree with you. And I know you and I are on the same page uh, when it comes to that. And I think a lot of the people listening to this uh, podcast are, um, but not everybody. And this is where it's like, okay, well, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. And, and that's how fine. We all have the right to believe whatever we want to believe. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about, you know, what it, what it takes to be brave and strong and do the right thing, it can't just be anything. It can't just be, well, what's your truth? What's your right? What's my right? There there has to be something that is universally true and right. Yes, yes, there certainly does. Um, and, you know, and you, in thinking about people like Corey Tenboom and her family who hid Jews in the Netherlands, I mean, for them, it was really because they knew that they had to do this because this is what God, their, God's call and God's call led throughout their entire time from hiding Jews to their imprisonment in Robin's book concentration camp when they ministered to women, their fellow prisoners. And so I feel that if we are led by the Lord and if he's leading our day to day lives, then he will direct our steps. Amen. Amen. Well, that's a great place to land, even though I want to keep talking and talking to you because you're so fascinating to just listen to. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know in, in all of your spare time that you have, are you you're going to go on a lecture circuit anytime soon? Because I would be first in line for that. <laughs> well, that's very flattering. Thank you. Um, I'm not lecturing, but I mean, I'm always, I do, I really do enjoy speaking to people. I enjoy speaking to book clubs. I enjoy speaking to readers. And just one of the, the greatest joys of being an author is the wonderful people I've been privileged to meet throughout this journey. And so I definitely love connecting with them. Well, I hope one day to be able to connect with you in person. Maybe we could do an in-person live uh, Misfits uh deep dive into history with you um but amanda thank you so much so let's let's tell people how they can find this book how they can find out more about you so if you visit my website amandabarrett.net um you'll find all the information and the book is available on all major retailers and i also love connecting with readers on facebook and instagram okay you heard it you know what? i don't think i'm connected with you on instagram i'm gonna i'm gonna find you and follow you how about that so 
thank you so much again for coming and we look forward to oh and uh, you know what one more thing before you go because i hear you're working on yet another book give us a little sneak preview of that one so my next novel returns to world war ii poland and it's another story of resistance and resilience um through the eyes of two sisters and it involves um such historical figures as arena sendler a polish um, social worker who rescued jewish children from the warsaw ghetto and the polish underground army which rose up in warsaw in 1944 and so i'm very excited to share it, it will be releasing in november 2023 so you can certainly stay tuned for more details Okay. Oh, I can't wait. All right. I'm going to mark my calendar and hopefully we can talk again when that one comes out. Oh, I would love that. Great. All right. Well, thank you. God bless you and enjoy this ride they were on. Well, God bless you too, Nancy. Thank you so much. The book is called Within These Walls of Sorrow, and I can't recommend Amanda's writing highly enough. So just go find her and find her book at amandabarrett.net that's b-a-r-r-a-t-t.net and of course you can get her book wherever you like to find your books uh, but don't miss her website because it's got extras and don't forget to subscribe to this here podcast and by the way good reviews help us get on the map and help other misfits and speaking of misfits follow us at isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of misfits.com. Because we got extras too. Extra podcasts, extra blogs, extra, extra misfit fun for everyone. Hey, thanks for joining us on this journey. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen and spread the word. And that word, of course, is summed up in this. Own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and seek beauty and truth everywhere because it really is everywhere if you really look for it.